Uh, John chapter 8, we're going to go through verses 1 through 11 today, talk about the mercy of Jesus, picking up in the first verse. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8, once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's the word of the Lord. Well, Melissa and I, we had the, uh, as we were gone last week, we had the, we just had a, just an opportunity to go hiking, really took a short hike with a couple of friends of ours. And uh, we noticed as we took off on this hike, and we didn't have much time, um, and it was only going to be about a half a mile, you know, quick 20 minutes, because that, that's all the time we had. And we noticed that um, it, was a, it, was, it was a couple, and we noticed that the wife was really, felt really nervous. And uh, at one point, it was like, hey, are you okay? Do you want to do this hike? And we don't have to do this? You know, I'm good with another croissant and a cup of coffee. I'll be honest with you. I don't need this, you know. And she goes, no. She goes, it just brings back this moment I had with my husband a few years back when uh, he told me we were going on a hike that was a mile long and we grabbed a bottle of water and four hours later, it ended up being seven miles. We were lost in the woods and standing in the middle of some highway we'd never seen while my husband was waiting to flag down a car to bring us back to town because a dehydration had set in. Um, and it, the story really struck us, not only because it's always hilarious when somebody almost dies and they tell you about it, um, but just in this sense of thinking about um, you know, what it is that they went through and the emotions that people, uh, the, the emotions that come out when they tell this story. You know, on one hand, it was like, dude, really, like one bottle of water? Like that's how unprepared you were? To which he would say, yeah, but it was, a, it was just gonna be a mile. And hey, you know, we have this map. And he kept telling her, trust the map, trust the map. At some point she said, I'm not trusting the map anymore, or you, you know? And so on one hand, people go, oh, you should have known better. And then on the other hand, you go, at some point they'd reach the end. And there he is standing out in the middle of this, you know, mountain highway, you know, waving for the car to stop, hopping some stranger's car. Kids don't do that. Um, but when you're an adult, you can do that sometimes. Um, it's one of the benefits of adulthood. And uh, hopping stranger's cars and take them back to town. And in that, we see just this incredible, um, you know, vulnerable moment where they needed the mercy of somebody else uh, to bring them back. And we see a little bit of this. Uh, in the passage for us this morning. We want 
simultaneously justice and mercy. It creates a bit of a tension and a dilemma for us. Wanting justice is not a bad desire, by the way. When we are sinned against or we see people who harm society or they harm others, um, we want to see justice prevail. When, when we see somebody on trial uh, for just incredibly heinous crimes, we want to see them come to justice. We want to see them pay for their crimes. Justice is also complicated. It's complicated for Christians, right? We, we expect justice while at the same time, no mercy has been extended to us. There's expectation, there's extension simultaneously, right? Um, justice is complicated because we know that our own sin required Jesus to go to the cross in order to justify us. Our, this line we use, our justification by faith alone through grace alone and Christ alone puts a mirror up to our souls. It allows us to know that justice and mercy, there's interplay between those two things, right? We know that God is just, but we rejoice that through Christ we have received mercy instead of the justice we deserved for our sins. It puts us in a strange place. The dilemma, of course, is that a lot of times we want judgment for everyone but us, right? everyone but us. We want mercy instead. So what we see here this morning is that Jesus redeems a woman caught in the act of adultery by offering her mercy instead of judgment. One thing we see in the character of Jesus is an abundance of mercy without him emptying himself of being any less just. What mercy means, by the way, if we're going to unpack that word here for a second, mercy means that Jesus doesn't give you what you deserve if you come to him in humility and repentance. So we're going to look at two contrasting scenarios today, which is, one, what we see when mercy is absent. What we see in these scribes and Pharisees. The second one is what we see when mercy is in abundance, which is what we see when we look at how Jesus treats uh, this woman. Let me just say that before we dive in, if you are somebody who needs mercy this morning, and I would say that all of you do, um, you have it. And if you are somebody who needs to extend mercy and to give mercy, well, we're going to unpack a little bit of the complications that come with that at the very end. So as you think, as you're even processing this word right now, that if you are in Christ, Christ has now given you has not given you what you deserve. And to, to keep that in mind as we, as we dive into this text, because what we're going to look at here to begin is that when mercy is absent, there is judgment and blindness. Whenever there is, mercy is absent. Although the law stated that you shall not commit adultery, that was a known thing, the Pharisees, they enter the temple already manipulating the law and the situation. Since, by the way, you notice they come in with the woman, but they don't have the man uh, who was caught in the act. Leviticus, back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, stated this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, this is Old Testament law. We don't have the time to get into why Jesus comes in as the fulfillment of the law. And this changes for us, Right? But the Pharisees had a very one-sided 
very chauvinistic approach, actually, to dealing with this woman without including the man who was just as guilty. But notice that repentance is not even considered an option as they drag this woman into the temple. Even though in the Old Testament law, it was an option. We learned that in Psalm 51. Remember when David repents of his adultery with Bathsheba, and it was more than just adultery, to be clear, but it was adultery. He is forgiven by God. Repentance was an option. Forgiveness was on the table. But the reality is that the Pharisees did not have those kind of hearts. They didn't have hearts of mercy for this woman who had committed adultery. They saw someone they could, they could throw the law at. And worse yet, by the way, use her to test Jesus and then see if they could trap him. And here was the corner that they were trying to put Jesus in. Number one, if Jesus agreed with the law of Moses and said, yep, stone the woman, it would have come in stark contrast to Jesus' teaching and Jesus' reputation of showing mercy and being the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. On the other hand, if he disagreed with the law of Moses, they could accuse him of being a blasphemer. They could accuse him of being a lawbreaker. See, you're not agreeing with the law of Moses, therefore you deserve to be put to death. They were using the occasion to implicate this woman, to put this woman to death, ultimately as a way to put Jesus to death, right? Depending on how he responded. They're trying to trap him, they're trying to test him. What would Jesus do is the question. Now, before we get to that, I don't want us to miss the dehumanizing way the Pharisees were treating this woman. They placed her in the midst of the temple, again, not to provide for an opportunity for her to seek the mercy of God, but to bring the judgment of God upon her. Their hearts didn't break for this woman. There were no signs of compassion or understanding. Who knew what this woman's story was all about? All they saw was an unredeemable woman who should be discarded and declared guilty. And to think that these were the ones who led the people in the laws of God. These were the ones who instructed the people of the character and the attributes of God. Where mercy is absent, judgment follows, right? Let's hear what Jesus, Paul, and James have to say about this. In Matthew 22, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. See how he puts justice and mercy combined in those categories? They're combined. They're not, they're not, they don't exist on their own. He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Paul says in Romans 13, 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. James, the half-brother of Jesus in chapter two of his letter says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. 
but mercy triumphs over judgment. So this judgment that these Pharisees were so eager to lay upon this woman came as the result of a blindness that was in them, a blindness to the mercy of God, the mercy that God had shown his people all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way to where they were today as a people that were still existing under the oppression of Roman rule. But where mercy is absent, you're only going to find judgment and that judgment is going to come because of our second point, you have a blindness to the mercy that you need for yourself. You have the ability then without the mercy of Christ having changed your heart to, to not understand how much mercy you've been given, to not see the severity of your own sin. They didn't see it like that. They saw themselves as law keepers, not law breakers like this woman. It's interesting how Jesus responds when the Pharisees ask him the question, by, by the way. What's interesting when they say, what, what would you do? What are you going to do with this woman? What are you going to do in the predicament that we have placed you in, Jesus? He doesn't immediately answer. Really strange response. But it's like he's letting the tension build a little bit. He's allowing them even to just have a minute to think about what it is that they're proposing. If they, if they even have the ability to think through it, their hearts were so hardened. They lacked so much compassion, Right? It says in verses six and eight that he bends down, he starts writing something on the ground. And we have no idea what he wrote. We can speculate, some have speculated that maybe he started writing down the sins of the woman's accusers. We don't know. We're not given any, uh, we're not given any uh, answers to that. Whatever he wrote, what Jesus finally responds in verse seven is mind blowing, right? What does he say? He says, as they continue to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And there's a couple of things that we want to notice here because that is an incredible response. That is a response that the Pharisees were not expecting, which is always the response they got from Jesus. Like at some point, it's like, fellas, are you going to keep testing this guy? Because he always has an answer for you. It's never the answer you want, but it always shuts you up. It's incredible. But there's a couple of things to notice here with that response is that Jesus... Jesus recognizes this woman has sinned, okay? He's recognized that this woman has sinned when he says, let him who is without sin among you. So in that, he's acknowledging that, hey, this woman has sin, you have sin as well. He wasn't diminishing her sin. He was bringing their hypocrisy to light by ignoring their own sin and only focusing on hers. He was pointing out that her sin, like all sin, originates in the heart and that if these accusers had ever looked, listen to this, at another woman with lust in their heart, they were just as guilty of breaking the law as she was, which was significant since their job was to teach and keep the law so righteously and so perfectly. Jesus said in Matthew 5.27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A quickness to judge is accompanied by a slowness to acknowledge your own guilt. 
Think about that in yourself. The quickness sometimes that we have to pounce on somebody. There's never any mirrors around when we do that, is there? You. Look at what you've done. How dare you? How could you? You should be ashamed of yourself. Don't bring me into this. I'm standing on the higher moral ground, right? Jesus just completely changes the game for those of us who like to create our own rating systems, but who need God's mercy just as badly as those we think need it more than we do. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. You want to go back one book to Luke. Luke 18. Picking up in verse 9. It's a great parable from Jesus where he... uh, He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Nobody in the world would have thought that a tax collector could be justified before a Pharisee back in this particular time, right? The Pharisees were the model of righteousness and justice. They were who the people looked up to. They were living embodiments of God's law. And Jesus is saying, you are bankrupt. You're bankrupt. This tax collector who comes before me in humility, seeing his need for mercy, this is who I justify. This is who I get close to. This is where my compassion goes. The Pharisees were just the blind leading the blind. They lacked spiritual visibility. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes you're caught in those rainstorms that are so bad, you know, going down the highway. They're so bad you actually have to pull over uh, because you can't, like, you can't see five feet in front of you. But that would be like walking up to the car in front of you after that and telling them how to drive. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Have you not seen your windshield? You're telling me how to drive? You're the one parked here just like me waiting for the storm to pass, right? Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, his famous sermon, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You notice he doesn't say like you should never take the speck out of your brother's eye. He just says do it in a way that acknowledges the mercy that you've been given, that acknowledges 
the place that Jesus has brought you out of and from because it's going to be very different. It's going to be very different than if you just come down in judgment. Where mercy is absent, there is judgment and blindness. We have to just be so careful of that because I know in my own life, um, I'm just really cozy, cozier with the law. I'm just so much cozier than saying, you should have done it like this and you didn't, so I'm backing off a little bit. That's not a merciful response. That's not a response that acknowledges the mercy that I've been shown for the ways that I've sinned against God, for the ways that I've sinned against other people. And they are vast and they're deep, right? Where mercy is abundant, on the other hand, there is these three things that we see from Jesus. There is acceptance, there is forgiveness, there is wholeness. And the response to this woman, it kind of mirrors a little bit the response that Jesus gave the woman at the well who had been caught in very similar sins. The first thing we see where mercy is abundant is that there is acceptance. Jesus receives this woman. In Matthew 9, chapter 13, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to, not to call the righteous, but sinners. This woman was rejected by the Pharisees, but she finds acceptance in Jesus who receives her in love. Jesus didn't seek her out to condemn her, but to cover her. Do you feel like you, you, it's, it's that one sin too many? It's that one sin that's just beyond the other sins? It's that one sin that's not the garden variety sin, but it's like the big one. And you just feel like, how could God, how could anybody accept me? And we see something different here. We see that there is forgiveness and mercy and acceptance available. Even when that sin has put you in just your absolute most desolate place like this woman. There is acceptance where mercy is in abundance. Secondly, there is forgiveness where mercy is in abundance. And it always is with Jesus. Romans 4 verse 7 said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This woman received something she wasn't expecting, which was forgiveness. Forgiveness is just shocking. As soon as you are able to really understand the severity of your sin, dude, forgiveness is a shocking thing. It's surprising. When, you find, when, when the Holy Spirit gives you eyes to see the depth of your sin, you just stand back and go, whoa, man. Like, dude, that's, sh that's shocking that Jesus would forgive me of that sin. When you finally stop minimizing your sin, when you finally stop saying, I ain't like that guy, the forgiveness of Jesus is so all-encompassing. It goes so deep. It's not just a surface-level thing, right? It's not like pouring, you know, a cup of coffee onto the kitchen counter and then it just rolls off onto the floor. It's a sponge. It soaks it up. It's like Jesus covers you and he soaks up your sin. And what's left is mercy and forgiveness for you. 
If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? It says in Psalm 130, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This woman's sin was no match for the mercy of Jesus. And the third thing, where mercy is abundant, there, there's wholeness. Jesus restores. Verses, verse 9, when we read, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Nobody else. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one. Can you imagine the motion in her when she said that? When she looked around, there was nobody left there? Just her and Jesus? Where are the people that are trying to condemn you? Where are the people that are accusing you? Where are they? They're gone. She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Jesus didn't minimize her sin, but he brought her to wholeness so that her sin didn't define her, so that her sin didn't condemn her any longer. Was it going to be a process for her? Heck yeah. Yeah, we're not told what happens. We're not told the days, the weeks, the months following this. What it took for these things to become unpacked in her life and lead her to a place of greater healing and wholeness. It was a process for her. And yet the Lord had begun that process like he does with you, like he does with me, offering us that just unfathomable amount of mercy. Let's address a couple of problems that we see here that might rise up, a couple of questions. First one, maybe for you being this, did, did the mercy of Jesus excuse this woman's sin? Well, no, because at the end here, what do we see Jesus communicating to her? He tells her to sin no more. He wasn't saying, you know what, just, you're forgiven, just go for it, just keep doing what you're doing, everything's great, I just spared you. He doesn't say that at all, he says, go and sin no more. What mercy does, mercy enables a person to be freed from the magnitude and the slavery of their sin. So now this woman was free to sin no more because she'd been given mercy and forgiveness. The Pharisees who had walked away were not free to do that because they had not received the mercy and forgiveness. They had walked away from it. This woman stood in the midst of Jesus alone and was able to receive all of it. That's a, that's a picture of you before the Lord, before Jesus Christ, you and your sin, your, your minimal sins, your massive sins, all the sins in between that you're going to commit tomorrow, it's all right there. You and Jesus, his mercy for you. Here's a second maybe problem or question that comes up for you. Does the mercy of Jesus ignore justice? It's a good question. The answer would be no. How do we know that? Well, Jesus proved it. He was going to prove it. It was on the cross that Jesus received the justice that that woman and us deserved for our sins so that we could receive his mercy and his forgiveness. The cross is the place where justice and mercy 
meet. One is not sort of ditched for the other. They're both represented. It's just that Jesus took it. Jesus received that justice that this woman deserved and instead extended mercy. Here's how I want to end our time today. I want to end our time with two questions for you to think about and to get practical about. First one is this. Do you need mercy? It's a really difficult passage to grapple with. Do you need mercy? Because whoever your accusers are, they don't have the final word. They don't have it. Like this woman, if you come before Jesus with all your junk, you will be standing alone with Jesus, absent of your accusers. And he is saying to you today, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And he's not saying you're going to be perfect. He's saying get out of that pattern. Get out of that lifestyle. Get out of that frame of mind and that frame of living that sin has. Uh, walk away from the effect that that sin has on your life. That's what he's saying. Go and sin no more. Do not let this sin have power over you no more because it doesn't. Turn from it. Be active. Right? Jesus is calling you to restoration today. He's doing that by, by lavishing his mercy on you to bring you into wholeness like he did with this woman. You can come to Jesus just as you are too. I got nothing cleaned up. My life is a mess. Or my life is just hidden. I got all these things I do that nobody knows about. So it looks good. It looks good from the outside. It's really unnoticeable. But I'm a mess on the inside. If you only knew what I was doing, if you only knew my thoughts, if you only knew the things I was looking at, if you only knew, I don't know. In fact, most of the people here probably don't know. Interesting that Jesus knows. And you can come to him with all of that just as you are. Here's the beauty of that is he will not let you stay as you are. That's evidence of his mercy and his forgiveness having an effect on your heart and changing you. His mercy is what frees you from your enslavement to the things of which you need so much mercy, right? Mercy means that your life can look different. You are not getting what you deserve. The cross is what you deserve, but Jesus went there for you because of his love for you. And out of that love flows his mercy and forgiveness for you. Do you need mercy? You do. You all need it today. I do. We have it if we go to Jesus to receive it. Secondly and finally, do you need to extend mercy to somebody? Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, Paul writes, so far as it depends on you, live, live peaceably with all. He said, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh, I hate that passage. Man. You should always know you have a pastor that's honest with you about these things, right? I'm not there, Ronnie. 
That's okay. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. I say, I say this soberly too. I want to I talk about this for a minute. I say that soberly, extending mercy. I'm knowing that sometimes our, in, our inability to show mercy to someone who has sinned deeply against us is very complicated. And it's a weight that is very, very heavy. The encouragement for us today is that it's a weight not too heavy for Jesus to hold when you are not able to hold it. Okay, it's process. Christians are too quick to be too black and white. And I hate that because it is not scriptural. Scripture talks about process. Scripture talks about our salvation being like this, but working it out with fear and trembling. Scripture talks about us going through the process of sanctification, whereby the mercy of Jesus becomes deeper and more known and more felt in our lives through the years. And then there are some days, weeks, months, years, and seasons in our life where we feel like we don't have it to give while acknowledging that it's been given to us. Does Jesus bail on us when we're feeling that way in those moments? He does not. It's a process because some of you have been sinned against to the point to where if I was up here saying, you know what, you've been showing mercy, just snap your fingers, let it fly. It's incredibly unrealistic. It's incredibly unbiblical. It's a process. If it wasn't a process, we wouldn't need the patience of Jesus in our lives. What is he patient with us for? He's patient with us in our sanctification, in our slowness, in our woundedness, in our inability to say, I ain't got no mercy today, Jesus. I want to. Well, hey, that want is significant. Because there was a time like these Pharisees when you didn't even want to extend it. Don't minimize that. Don't minimize that. And by the way, it's a process that can begin by just asking Jesus to show you some new mercy. Peter tells us that Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You can remember that. For your accusers, for your abusers, the Lord has their number. You can trust him in his timing. He will do what he will do. We can trust him for that. That's a process for us. Deep cuts, bad bruises, they critically wound us. The Lord understands like he understood this woman better than anyone else in the world. Here's the second part to this. When we talk about needing to extend mercy, okay? Mercy is also shown through this thing called forbearance, all right? Not keeping a record of wrongs. Uh, keeping short accounts. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures all things, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, right? You let some things of a lesser magnitude get swallowed up in the mercy of God that is flowing through you as one of his sons and daughters. Things of less magnitude, we, we also have the ability to be forbearant and to let it go. That's a way that we extend mercy to others. So here's how I would encourage you as I want to encourage me 
this morning, and it's this, go get the mercy of Jesus. Go give the mercy of Jesus. Whether you find yourself in the company of a Pharisee this morning, just drowning in the blindness of self-righteousness, or you're like this woman who's just drowning in the condemnation of your sin. You need God's mercy. You need it. They both needed it, the Pharisees and this woman. One got it. One received it. Go get the mercy of Jesus today. Go give the mercy of Jesus today. We're going to sing about this right now because it's more. His mercy is more. His mercy is abundant. His mercy is the thing that you need to quench that need you have to be forgiven and to stop the voice of your accusers from condemning you. You stand with Jesus. Can I pray? Lord, we thank you that you're so merciful to us. We thank you for the way you've shown us through this passage how merciful you are to people who the world wants to discard. Thank you for showing us how easy it is for us to be self-righteous like those Pharisees and to want to condemn. Lord, we know that you are a God of justice and mercy. Um, We can't make sense of it a lot of times, how how it's all going to work. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to entrust ourselves to you because you judge justly the way Jesus did. Lord, help us to receive that mercy, to pray for it, to seek it, to seek that forgiveness today. Lord, to those that we are able to extend mercy to, I pray that you would help us do that too. Um, Help us to be a forbearant church, a forbearing church. Lord, not keeping a record of wrongs, but um, allowing the magnitude of your grace cover even sins against us that are coming in at, at less volume and less magnitude. That's very hard to do too. But Lord, we pray that your mercy would cover us today, that we would walk away encouraged, that we would walk away eager to do business with you today as maybe we get into the quiet of our day, of our homes. Maybe we can find a few minutes, Lord, to come before you and seek out ways that we need mercy, seek out ways that we need forgiveness so that we can go and sin no more. Um, These things that are, these sins that are scraping away at our hearts, Lord, in a way that keeps us distant from you. Let us find mercy and forgiveness in those sins today. Lord, let us be able to extend the mercy that we're given in ways that you've prepared us to do. Lord, you are patient with us. You are compassionate. And we thank you for that. And we pray that we would feel the presence of you and those things this week, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.